You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs this morning. Proverbs chapter 9 is where we will be. We selected that Isaiah text very intentionally, and we'll come back to that a little bit later this morning, Uh, but uh, we are wrapping up our summer sermon series called Walking in Wisdom, uh, where we have focused our attention on the early chapters of Proverbs, where we find a series of parental uh, appeals and warnings from a father to his son. Uh, Next week, uh, Lord willing, we're going to open together the book of Galatians, uh, what many uh, would say is the Apostle Paul's first letter. Um, uh, a letter written to the churches of Galatia. And uh, I would encourage you, there are six chapters in Galatians, and so I would encourage you to uh, set aside some time this next week uh, to read maybe a chapter a day uh, leading up to next Sunday. Uh, And so look forward to that. But here, Proverbs chapter 9 contains the final poem uh, of the first major section of The book of Proverbs, it's uh, really chapter 1, verse 8, through the end of chapter 9 here. And we find uh, in chapter 9 these contrasting personifications of wisdom uh, and of folly. Uh, We see wisdom in verses 1 through 12 and then folly in verses 13 through 18 presented as lady wisdom and lady folly. And in the flow of the book, the introduction Uh, And this chapter kind of act act as bookends to unify this entire section in its call to recognize and to uh, internalize and to walk in the way of wisdom. Uh, We have said all along that wisdom is not a thing, it's a person, uh, and it is to to know and understand the ways of God, uh, to choose to live out those truths. That is wisdom. Uh, And so the key verse at the beginning uh, of of our study here in verse uh, 7 of chapter 1 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then it's basically repeated here in chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in verse number 10 here of chapter 9. And so this ninth chapter provides this poetic description of the two paths, wisdom and folly, and strongly encourages the humble to choose the path of wisdom. Uh, This is some common imagery that we've seen throughout our study here uh, over the last 10 or 11 weeks in the early chapters of the book of Proverbs. So I want us to look at it together, the entirety of chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. I hope that you'll follow along as I read. You'll find the words are on the screen if you don't have uh, with you a physical copy of God's word today. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense, she says. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight." Verse 7 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. 
Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. and The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Then notice, beginning of verse 13, what's described as the way of folly. It says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of Sheol. I think most of us are aware that the art of uh, an invitation has changed a lot through the years. Um, my wife's grandmother uh, was, uh, she uh, did quilling. How many of you know what quilling is? Okay, a few of you. Uh, it's, it's an art form, uh, it's really pretty amazing. Uh, it takes a lot of detail. Uh, a lot of attention, but you basically take little strips of paper and you curl them up, twist them in such a way that you can make a beautiful piece of art. You can literally make flowers and all sorts of things out of uh, these little strips of paper. Uh, and I know some of you right now are going, I got to get on Pinterest and find that. I've got, you know. Um, but she, she, what she did is she took our wedding invitation back in 1989 and she uh, cut out the, the most important part, the invitation itself, of course, and she uh, did quilling all around it and she framed it and gave it to us for uh, a wedding gift. It was really very, very sweet. And so uh, over time, we've seen the art of the invitation change. And with uh, technology and all those kind of things. Now, I guess a lot of times you get an evite or, uh, you know, whatever. There's just a lot of different ways that you can invite someone to a celebration or to a gathering or whatever. And depending on the nature of the event, um, the, the, the invitation is more or less formal or whatever. But one of the things that you often see with an invitation is you see uh, these four letters, R-S-V-P. Uh, and that uh, it comes from a, a French phrase, uh, répondez, uh, s'il vous plaît, is what that really is. I, I, that's all the French I, I know, and obviously I don't know that. And so, but it means, it's a French phrase that means, please reply. Okay, please respond. And I want you to notice as we look at this ninth chapter of Proverbs this morning that what we find are really two invitations. Uh, two similar invitations in some respects but two distinctly different invitations uh, in other ways. And so I want us to first look at an invitation to Lady Wisdom's table. An invitation to Lady Wisdom's table. Notice again in verses 1 and 2, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. So all throughout the first part of the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a dignified woman who calls all who will listen to learn her ways so that they can live a life of wisdom. And now we get an invitation to a meal at her house. To prepare for the meal, Lady Wisdom has slaughtered the animals. It is time for a barbecue, amen? And mixed the wine, which would mean honey and spices have been added to make the wine even better. This is no ordinary meal. 
Now, this is a feast of celebration. In the ancient world, most meals didn't include meat and well-mixed wine. That luxury was reserved for special guests and celebrations and holy meals even. So we kind of get an idea of the nature of this gathering, of this invitation. And then in verses 3 through 6, you'll notice it says, She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Now the Hebrew word for simple that you see there, actually refers to someone who is inexperienced, uh, needing instruction. This is someone who is moldable, capable of being shaped and formed by whoever gets uh, his or her attention, as we talked about last week. There's potential. There's potential in this person. You, you know, if you have your kids in the room today, you would say they, they have so much potential. I can remember as a junior in high school, went to a, a private Christian school over in Louisville, and our principal sat us down, uh, just the upperclassmen, juniors and seniors. And he looked across the room and he said, you have so much potential here today. We were kind of feeling pretty proud of ourselves. And he goes, but here's the thing. Potential gas doesn't make a car run. He said, you can have a lot of potential, what do you do with that potential? What are you going to do with it? And I think that's the idea that we get here. This is someone who has potential, potential for great good, and also at the same time, potential for frightening harm. It is a life in many respects that is hanging in the balance, you might say. And while we all have dreams and hopes and aspirations and all those things for our children, uh, we know that there are no guarantees in this world that, that, that we will see them fulfill uh, those hopes and dreams and aspirations that we may have for them. And so both wisdom and folly are competing for their attention and affection and allegiance. And so what is the price of admission to this feast This invitation that has been extended from Lady Wisdom. Leave behind your simple ways and walk in the way of insight, she says. You have have to come with humility and with teachability. You have to be willing to say, "I, I don't know some things. And most of us who've lived for... For any length of time, we could probably look back at a point in our lives where we thought we had it all figured out. Like, I've pretty much got this whole thing figured out. You know, that you kind of that know-it-all phase uh, that, that we go through. And then uh, the, the older you get and the more you mature, the more you look around and go, maybe I don't have this all figured out. There's some things that I need to learn. So with that, we have to have a teachable spirit. There's this, uh, this humility, this teachability, this willingness to say, I, I don't know some things. You have to be willing to receive instruction, to, in some cases, even learn a, a new way of life. We have to be willing to, to change our beliefs and our values and our behaviors and our influences, everything. You have to be willing to redefine, in some cases, what is good and true and beautiful. have to be willing to unlearn so that we can relearn. We have to be willing to turn away from our old ways and turn toward a new way of living. I think back over my life, and there are some, what, what I would have described at the time, firmly held beliefs that as I've matured and as I've grown in my faith and my walk with the Lord, I realize maybe those aren't such firmly held beliefs after all. That's not to say we should just change with the times 
Let's not say, you know, God is somehow wishy-washy or, uh, in fact, Scripture tells us he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think many times, especially living in a broken, sinful world, we can adopt, if we're not very careful and very discerning and not walking in wisdom, we can, we can adopt some very bad ideology and thinking. So again, it goes back to who or what are you paying attention to? Who's discipling you? Uh, how, how are you coming to, to, to understand some of these things? Psalm 63, verse 5 says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. That's the offer on the table. An invitation into a relationship with God where our souls can be satisfied, and we express our delight and our gratitude with praise and with joy, regardless of the circumstances. I want you to notice there's a second invitation here in Proverbs chapter 9. That is an invitation to Lady Folly's trap. Look at verses 13 through 17 again. It says, the woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. We've seen this same type of description, the same type of imagery in chapters 5 through 7 where he's talking about the seductress, the forbidden woman. Uh, if you remember those, uh, those messages there a couple of weeks ago. So we see here Lady Folly raises her voice to distract. And she brings it to a seductive whisper to draw us in. She sits idly at her door calling to those who are passing by. Folly loves to derail those who are striving for the straight and narrow pathway to wisdom's house. Take this exit. Take this detour. The call is strikingly similar to wisdom's. Notice she says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Both offer their invitation from the high places. Both even offer food and make promises, but the invitations are not identical. You see, the woman Folly is inactive, sitting idly at the doorway. She's loud and noisy and ignorant. She seduces, uses seduction to lure her guests. Instead of preparing a feast, she's stolen bread and water. Not only is it a meager meal, she delights in the fact that it's stolen. One commentator by the name of Raymond Van Leeuwen in his book on Proverbs said, Folly and sin are always parasitic of the good that God, by wisdom, has made. We've said over the course of this series, for everything that God has designed to be perfect and beautiful and holy and pure, Satan always, the enemy always, has a counterfeit, a cheap counterfeit that looks like it will give you something that you are longing for. He goes on to write, folly takes the goods and destroys their goodness by ripping them from their proper place. Folly has not built her house. She has stolen it. Folly is a smuggler and a thief and a liar. She stands against everything that God stands for. So while Lady Wisdom offers an abundant feast, what does Lady Folly offer? 
She, 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 she represents uh, things that, that will never satisfy, things that will never uh, fill that longing that we sometimes It's this attraction to what's forbidden and what's done in secret. She lures her victim into her trap by telling half-truths and lies. She'll do whatever she can to convince you that sin gives pleasure and that you can wiggle out of the consequences to avoid them altogether. She offers false promises and disappointment, a life of emptiness and dissatisfaction. But it's worse than that because if you read verse 18, it says, But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. That's a word referring to the place of the dead. And now we see what looks like a table is really a trap. Tables are meant to bring people together to dine and to be encouraged and to be filled. This table is a trap. It's a table of death. Pastor Tim Keller says this. He says, to miss out on life then is to enter the realm of death before your physical life on earth is ended. To live a life cut off from God with ever-increasing spiritual blindness and uh, bitterness and, and hardness is to become a spiritual corpse. Folly's guests reside deep in the realm of the dead. Do you want to know the great irony and even the tragedy of Solomon's life? Who's writing here? He didn't listen very well to his own wisdom. If you read his biography in 1 Kings, you see that at the end of his life, he delighted in women and not the Lord. In fact, Scripture tells us he took many wives and concubines. And the Bible says that Solomon clung to these in love. And many of the women in whom he delighted worshipped other gods. And before long, Scripture tells us he too worshipped false gods. In fact, in 1 Kings 11.4, it says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Even Solomon, described for us in Scripture as one of the wisest men who ever lived, was distracted and seduced by folly. So if we have these two invitations, we have to ask ourselves, then how will we RSVP? At first, the decision seems like a no-brainer. Of course, we'll choose the better table. Of course we'll choose wisdom. Of course we'll choose life. But our track record shows that in the day-to-day reality of life, we often choose folly over wisdom. I know that's been true for me far too many times. We often choose folly over wisdom, death over life. So how can we make the right decision? Let's look at verses 7 through 12 to find the key. Because it is time to RSVP. Verse 7 says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, on the other hand, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. For by me... Your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. 
If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So this middle section of chapter 9 here is really the threshold of decision. It's time to RSVP. It provides the key to unlocking our hearts and ultimately how we'll decide whose invitation we'll take. So first, you notice here Solomon lays out, describes for us two distinctly different types of people. There's the scoffer and there's the wise man. The scoffer in Proverbs is a person who is full of themselves. I can remember uh, in some of my formative years uh, when uh, I was pretty focused on myself and my world. And I was, you know, many times thinking that I was kind of at the center of the universe and those kind of things. I can remember my dad often saying to me, son, you are so full of yourself right now. I don't know if I ever really fully understood that statement. But the truth is this. If you are full of yourself, then you can't possibly be filled with the Spirit. And the degree to which we are emptied of ourselves is the degree to which we can and will be filled then with the Spirit. And we're indwelt by the Spirit. But you can't be full of yourself and full of the Spirit at the same time. So Solomon here lays out this distinction. The scoffer is someone who's full of themselves. They are prideful. They're arrogant. They're contemptuous of others. A scoffer submits to no authority but, but his own and despises correction of any kind. If you try to correct and instruct a scoffer, Solomon says, watch out. Because you could incur injury. So what he's saying is in their own insecurity and folly, they will insult you. They will dishonor you and could even physically lash out at you. And the scoffer in the end will be responsible for his own life of misery. In South Texas, they had a saying, you make the taco, you eat it. Maybe you heard it a different way. You make the bed, you sleep in it. This is what you got to look forward to, scoffer. A life of misery. But then in contrast, he he tells us about the wise man. He's come to see humility and teachability as the pathways to wisdom. He welcomes correction and instruction so that he can continue to grow in wisdom. You see, the wise person understands that when it comes to wisdom, you never arrive. No matter how old you are today, no matter how long you've you've been involved in church or you've studied the Word of God, we never reach a place where it's like... I got it. I've arrived. Because about the moment that I think I've arrived or I've kind of gotten it all figured out, I get this big dose of humility. (laughs) God has a way of doing that, showing us how little we really know and understand about his nature and and, and how he wants us to relate to him. And so we've always got to have a a spirit of humility that says, "I, I, I want to know you better. I don't have this all figured out. I don't have all of the answers. So the wise person knows there's always more to learn. In the end, the wise person will experience abundant life, both in quantity and in quality. So again, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So Solomon finishes his last wisdom lesson here. In this first section of Proverbs where he began, the fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord means that God is your highest priority, your deepest love, your foundational trust. God has your focused attention and affection and allegiance. The fear of the Lord means that that we have an attitude of submission and obedience and dependence and joy and respect and awe and worship. On the surface, again, the decision as to how you'll RSVP seems like a no-brainer. That's because, in theory, the right answer or the right choice is obvious. It's not a lack of information. No. It's not that wisdom is hard to find. It's not like some uh, Easter egg out there that we've got to hunt down. And God is some kind of you know, maniacal God who's always hiding his best for us and we've got to somehow find it. No, it's just, it's just that many times that it's hard to pursue. And our problem is that deep down, listen carefully now, we're all scoffers. In our pride, we want to do things our own way and we really don't like someone, especially God, telling us how to live. Theologians call this condition... What the Bible describes as original sin. We're born with a bent towards scoffing and folly. And when our first parents, we know them as Adam and Eve, sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin was infused, you might say, into our very DNA. Let me give you some scripture. Psalm chapter 14, verses 2 and 3 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, desperately wicked, it says in one translation. Who can understand it? Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And if you've ever used the Romans road to share the gospel with someone, you know the importance of Romans chapter 3, right? Start there at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There are just a few of the many passages that teach that there's something broken inside each and every one of us down at the heart level. That's why I sometimes say the Bible is fundamentally a book about people who have a problem with God. And that problem is sin. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the meta-narrative of Scripture. The big picture tells us that, yes, that's the problem. That's the issue is our sinfulness. But God, who's rich in mercy, with which he loved, sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. Again, Pastor Ray Ortland says, we were born complicated We were born with a bias toward folly. We were born guilty. Theologians call it original sin, and it is real. It explains why our wills are unfree. It explains why even obvious choices can seem difficult or even impossible. Our hearts are corrupt down beneath the level of choice. So just knowing the right thing to do is not always enough. We don't naturally choose the right or obvious things because we're broken. 
That's why this decision can feel paralyzing. To make the right decision, to choose the fear of the Lord and make him the object of our greatest attention and affection and allegiance requires more than just information. It requires transformation. We need a transformation of our desires. And here is the beauty of the gospel. God understands human history better than we ever could. He knows that our hearts are broken and that we need transformation. He knows that on our own we would never seek after him and desire him. That's precisely why he came to seek after us. Remember the little story I told you last week about a young college student just a couple of weeks ago who asked me in the course of a conversation, he goes, tell me, how, how did you get to God? I said, I didn't. God came down to me in the person of Jesus Christ. You're familiar with John 3, 16. It's one of the best known verses in all of God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's how Jesus described his own mission. In Luke's gospel, chapter 5, Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And again in Luke chapter 19, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to seek and to save the lost, to be the great physician to those who are sick with sin. God pursues us, and the question before us is, how will we RSVP? Will we scoff and continue in our own way? Or will we humble ourselves before a holy God? Will we see him as the greater object of our affection and satisfaction and begin to, to, to turn away from sin and the house of folly and turn toward God and enter the house of wisdom? See, Christ is inviting us to come to receive his very best. He is the very personification of wisdom. Jesus is God's true wisdom who prepared a feast at no cost to you and me, but at cost to himself. He is the slaughtered lamb of God who takes away our sins so that everyone who hungers and thirsts can come to the house of wisdom and eat and be filled and satisfied and truly, truly live. And that brings us back to Isaiah 55. The gospel, the gospel says, come, come. Jesus in his earthly life and ministry, come. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. It's time to RSVP. Two distinctly different invitations. 
How will you RSVP? If we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes. This is the time in our service when we not only reflect upon what God has to say to us through his word, but it's a time when we respond. That doesn't always look like a, a physical response, but should be a response of the heart. Will I choose today to just be a hearer of the word? Will I leave here and really leave behind the transformational truth that God has revealed to me through his word and by his Holy Spirit? So there may be some here today who have never, never really RSVP'd. You're uncertain about your relationship with God today. You might say, well, I'm, I'm trying. I've turned over a new leaf more times than you can imagine. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to hopefully be good enough so that someday when it's all said and done, God will look at my life and say, wow, you have done more good than you have bad. With an extended invitation to live with him for eternity. But the Bible makes it clear that that is a colossally bad plan. Because it clearly says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. It's by the washing of regeneration renewing of the Holy Spirit. So it's not about anything you have done or could do. You see, the work has already been done. The redemptive work has been done by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. If your testimony today is one of faith in Jesus Christ, then know that I rejoice with you in that. But also know and understand, we are to choose the path of wisdom whereby we can grow Become more like Jesus Christ every day. That will not happen if we're consistently responding to the invitation of Lady Folly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for our time together in your word. I pray that you would do a work in each of our hearts and lives. Lord, we acknowledge that life in this broken, sinful world is sometimes often tough. We're often faced with things that look like they would bring such satisfaction and delight, and yet we find that they are empty. Leave us empty. So, Lord, for that one who has perhaps never turned from their sin to faith in you, I pray that by your Holy Spirit and by the power of your word today, they be drawn to you. Enter into a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for your sanctifying work in our lives. Lord, help us to, to choose wisdom. 
follow wholeheartedly after you so that we might become more like you and experience the true satisfaction and joy and delight that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.